So Dimmick's Campwell are a great friend of the Bookstash podcast. Uh, they've always been super supportive of my books right from day dot. They're the, my go-to bookstore as well. So it's, you know, fortunate that I've already spent thousands of dollars at their store. So yeah, I was very, very flattered when they asked me to come along and be one of their three guest authors for October's book club. Yeah, so that is um, October 2nd mm-hmm. this year, 2018, between 6.30 and 8 o'clock. Is that right, 6.30 to 8.30, 630 I think. 6.30 yeah. to 8.30. Yeah, so um, and you'll be speaking with some other authors mm-hmm. as well, but about your books and about lessons from writing. So if you want to come say hello to Ash, be sure to come down to that event. Where can people find details for that event? So on Dimmick's Camberwell's Facebook page, mm-hmm. they've got an event there that you can go to, and that links to the Eventbrite tickets as well with Fantastic. all the information. They put an amazing spread of food on. Uh, you can have a glass of wine. I think it's about $20 or so Fantastic. per head. Um, they throw a great event. And you can you also get a free book, I think. Yeah, there's awesome. a, you can go and um, pick, up, pick up a book from, they've got a selection there Where for you to choose events from. hosted at? Uh, so I believe that's at Barolo in Barolo Campbell, in Campbell. at the moment. Yeah, awesome. Um, they've had to move the locations. So I, sh- I need to double check that that's still the location. Great. Okay. Well, we'll put mm. details about that in the, the links. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, be sure to come down and say hi to Ash at that I'll event. I'll be there. I'll be there too. <laughs> I'm Steve Denise, and welcome to The Bookstash, a podcast where I chat with fantasy author Ash Oldfield about reading, writing, and everything in between. Are we in times that lots of people would call rather dystopian, disturbing at the moment with potential of things that could go wrong. So I think you've chosen a quite adequate book for this Do you episode. mean because I'm drinking wine and so anything can go wrong when I'm <laughs> drinking wine? <laughs> uh, it could be that well too. Uh, what are you reading, Ash? Um, well, this is actually a book I read a couple of years ago and then I started rereading it over the Easter break like six months ago or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, which is, well... It's blank, black box by black box. Um, so this is 1984 by George Orwell. And i got a really cool version that they've censored the cover yeah, of. Yeah, it's worth saying. I'll put this one in the picture so everyone will see it when they're looking at the website. But basically it's the Penguin Book Edition and they've blacked out or redacted the text on the cover. But you see how much I liked it. I haven't broken the spine at all. Mm. So I read it like barely opening the spine <laughs> just so I could read it. So, yeah, it's very cool. Yeah. I love this. I love this edition. I've never seen it like this cool before. Yeah, it's very cool. All right. So for people who don't know, uh, why don't you talk a little bit about what 1984 is about? Okay. So first of all, the important thing to note about 1984, which I think I got off the TV show QI, is it's the most lied about book. So Uh, most people, like many, many people say they've read it and they have never read it before. (laughs) So uh, 1984 is dystopian. So dystopian is um, I think it's like postulating of what could happen. Where do they think society is going? Usually quite grim, usually quite bleak. So, yeah, dystopia is the inverse of utopia. Yeah. So it just means uh, where a utopia is something where everything is fantastic and wonderful. A dystopia is where things have gone into a state that's quite horrible. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, 1984, as I said, it was written by George Orwell and 
he and Aldous Huxley, which is another name you may have heard, which I've got heaps of fascinating facts about him. Brave New World. Brave New World. So Aldous Huxley, his family were all geneticists. Mm-hmm. So I teach him as part of my biology curriculum when I'm teaching biology. But anyway, that's a, you know, to, to the side. Side point. Yeah. Aldous Huxley, his theory about the future of how humans would be controlled was through lots of drugs and lots of pleasure, pleasurable activities. So they were drugged off their minds um, and had lots of sex and parties, basically. So that was Aldous Huxley. Uh, George Orwell, he had the other, like the opposite idea. So George Orwell's idea for how we will be controlled in the future is through lots of war, lots of need, so lots of rations. There's always something that you want um, and also to be controlled very heavily by the government. Mm -hmm. So this is where that big brother is watching um, thing comes from. So everybody has screens and microphones and cameras in their homes and the government is watching them at all times. And being written in the 40s, it's uh, interesting. I always love when a book is this, like, look at the future. So they mm-hmm. have sci-fi ideas like monitoring and observation and stuff like that, but still mixed in with ideas of the times. Well, a lot of this came from, you know, uh, Russia, USSR back yeah. then when um, under the dictatorship, I think it is. I'm not very good with politics <laughs> of Stalin, Joseph Stalin. Yeah, it's very so- much play on the communist sort of mentality that they have where they have to like exercise and so that um you know that big brother is watching you back in ussr russia um you were being watched by the government Mm. at all times children could and and this happens in 1984 a child can dob their parent in for having you know unloyal thoughts to the to the government and then they have to go in for re-education so in 1984 you get a view of what the re-education program was you get a view of torture and that sort of thing. And I was reading, and I should actually put a little side note here that when I read this book two years ago, I that's when I researched it because I was I wanted to know more once I finished reading. So I don't know how accurate my facts are about this, but when I researched two years ago, the torture mechanisms that they used mm. in the book here are torture mechanisms that they used in Russia, in yeah, USSR. absolutely. Yeah. So there's a scene where they basically torture a character, brutalise their body, and then make them look at themselves in the mirror and mm. see the changes that have happened. So that's an actual torture technique that they used back in the day. Same with people could disappear just never see them again, uh, and they're wiped out from history. And that happened, I think, Stalin's best friend or his, mm-hmm. like, closest, um, you know, person, like his lieutenant, his sec- second in command, he just disappeared and got wiped out from history. And we've got photos that have been doctored, that there's a photo with him with his best friend and then the exact same photo where he's been wiped out. So all of that sort of thing happens in 1984. It follows the main character, Winston Smith, who he's a little bit disenfranchised by what's going on, and he's subtly rebelling in his own way, constantly afraid Big Brother's going to catch up with him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they've they've got to be able to simultaneously think two different thoughts at the same time. So, like, we're at, ah, uh, don't know what some of the thoughts are. Like, say, I love this thing but I also hate this thing. They have to be able to have both thoughts in their mm-hmm. mind at all times. So it's really, really interesting. It's like he has information that makes him know that the – 
government is changing facts and lying, but at the same time he has to believe that everything that he's writing is the truth. Exactly. They so, call it double think. Yeah, double think. So yeah. his job is actually to rewrite mm. a lot of the um, old news articles and things like that. So if someone's been wiped out and they're mentioned in a news article, he's got to rewrite the news article so that they're not mentioned or anymore. If, if the war they're actually having changes, they go back and change the history. So they've always been at war with that, that person. Yeah, so there are group. three states. There are like three places. Uh, the this book is set in Oceania, which I think was Great Britain. And then, yeah, sometimes they're at war with one of the states and then it'll just change in all the posters and everything will change so that they're at war with the other person. And that'll yeah. just happen in like a heartbeat. And so the people that be there on the streets protesting, I hate this place, I hate this place, and then immediately, nope, we're allies with them now, and they'll start protesting about the other place. Yeah, it's so, crazy. So you've read this one. I have read yeah. this one, yes. Because I remember when I wanted to read it, you were like, I've got it, I've got to own it. And then you didn't own it, so I had to go buy it. <laughs> I say that like it was a hardship, Yeah, but yeah. I love buying. Definitely the sci-fi and the dystopian sci-fi in particular, I, I, I'm a big fan of. So, yeah, I've so, read a lot of books in this genre. The thing I actually found interesting on 1984 was it was only the middle class that was controlled. Mm. So the lower class were left to their own devices. The they proles. could have whatever they want. The pro, Yeah, the proles. And then the upper class as well because they were the ones yep. controlling everything and they had the wealth and the money and, you know, wealth and money is the same thing. You know, they had everything. They had the all. yeah. They were left alone as well because, of course, they wanted things to stay the same because they had it so good. Mm. So it was only the middle class that were controlled. Which is a uh, consistent political mm. theme a lot of the time. Yeah. And I think that was actually very similar to how it was in um, Brave New World as well, mm. which I also read. It's so. really interesting because one of the theories in that sort of context is they talk about the idea that the middle class need to have that idea that they could become the upper class one day, so they never want to overthrow the upper class. Mm. And then you need the lower class there, the proletariat, to make people feel like that's what can happen yeah, if I exactly, muck yeah. up. So <laughs> they need to strike that balance. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, and that's definitely a tool used by political powers mm. in the world, yeah. Um, the other thing I really loved about this book uh, was some of the satire. So like the Ministry of Love, which in Newspeak mm. was Mini Love, that was the um, torture, torture and re-education. Yeah. Uh, the Ministry, Ministry of, of Truth. Truth. <laughs> yeah, that was propaganda and rewriting yeah. history. So I did, I did really enjoy that sort of thing. Mm. So I found this a really enjoyable read, even though it was so grim. Yes. Uh, I walked away, like I said, the first thing I did when I read the final word of the book was go on the internet and look up 1984 because I wanted to know more. Yeah. So it was it was a hard read but so worth it and so enjoyable. I say hard in the sense that the language is – it was written in – you said 1948 or mm. something. So it was written about that time. So – uh, it is an older language. So, mm. and we've talked in the past, in past episodes, about how it can be difficult to get into older language. And again, it's I, I think I've said before, but I, I found the first time I read it, the second time I did the audiobook, um, I can't remember who narrated it, but it was, yeah, I, I find a lot of those books when the language is a bit harder, mm. a bit older, a little bit dry, you know, harder to get into. The audiobook can sometimes be a good way to break through that because it just is a different way to absorb that information. Mm. It doesn't, yeah. it's not as, Dry, I guess, because yeah. the narrator puts some flavour into it. Well, if it's a good narrator, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, there was something else I wanted to talk about and I can't remember now. Oh, this is also one of the banned books. So for those people who do Banned Book Week, this is a book that's so often banned, which I find really interesting that they'll ban a book about the government trying to control the people. There's <laughs> my, you know, theory. So what is what is Banned Book Week, Sash? 
Banned Book Week is when people read books that have been banned right. by governments or schools or whatever. Yep. Um, so there are certain authors like George Orwell or Judy Bloom. She's mm-hmm. a big one that gets banned a lot. So controversial books that I think it's in a, I think it's an American thing. I don't know if it's an Australian yeah, thing, right. but because I'm always on Bookstagram, like Instagram and all that, I, I sort of come across. It. I don't even know when it is. That just popped into my head now to <laughs> talk about it. <laughs> yeah, nice. Mm. Um, I think some cool thoughts from um, 1984 is one of them being that. It's spawned a lot of like words that get used in mm. common language. I think that's a really cool concept. Heaps of them, yeah. Well, even Big Brother, like mm. the whole TV show, that was, you know, that, yeah. that horrible show would never have <laughs> happened if not for this book. Well, it probably would have happened under a different name. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe this book has lots to blame for reality TV. Mm. But also, like, um, yeah, like words we mentioned before, double think and Newspeak was Newspeak, another one I said. Yeah. yeah um, I'm trying to think what else now off the top of my head. There was a ton when I did a quick Google search just before, mm. but I can't, I can't remember yeah, them. Sorry. Yeah. I've had wine. So what would you say you've learned from reading 1984, Ashley? So 1984 is not the sort of book I would usually gravitate towards. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to gravitate gravitate towards fantasy, young adult, I guess almost easier reads, things that don't force me to look at something that's bleak. Yeah. But I enjoyed it so much. I got so much out of reading it. And so the lesson for me is to read books you wouldn't normally gravitate towards. So get out of your comfort zone. This is a classic and it's a classic for a reason. So I actually went to an author talk. It was actually um, about four or five years ago, I snuck into a university. Nice. When I wasn't, I wasn't a student there anymore. I had been a student like five years earlier yeah. there. And because um, I'd heard from a friend that Christos Siokas, who's a, um, an Australian writer, he's amazing. He wrote The Slap and Barracuda. They're the ones mm. he's known for. I think he's the only writer or the Australian writer that's won the Pulitzer Prize twice. Right. So he's, he's very well accoladed. He was giving a speech, he was giving a talk and he gave me a lot of his time afterwards to have a chat with him and everything. And the thing he told me was that I need to read more widely. Yeah. So I need to read the classics and I need to read uh, even things like romance or Shakespeare and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So I went home from my talk with him and I've got this to show you that we can maybe take a photo of. It's a list of books I got after talking with him. Oh, nice. So yeah. it's 35 books. Some of them he mentioned, some of them I got from uh, Reddit, I think. And yeah, they're 35 books to to read. Yeah, awesome. So some of them I had already read, and but most of them I hadn't. So I've been working through this list since I met him. I've read 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. 14. I read 14 nice. of them, but I am getting my, uh, making my way yeah. through them. You should do an article um, actually, rather than taking a photo of that. We can link to the article later. Like type it up, type yeah. things up. Yeah, I yeah, might type yeah, this yeah. list up. Keep and actually blog. I've had this list with me in the library mm-hmm. and had people come up to me and say, what's that list you've got? And I've lent them my list nice. to see what, what their next read is. So it's it's um, things like The Handmaid's Tale, which mm-hmm. is huge at the moment. I read that. Anna Green Gables, which I grew yep. up reading. We actually want to do a podcast on Anna Green Gables at some yeah. point. Remind me. Animal Farm. Um, yep. Slaughterhouse Five, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Brave New World, Flowers for Algernon, which we've done. Mm-hmm. Um, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, which yeah. I hated, but you know it's on there. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, awesome, cool. So the lesson from that is to definitely read diversely. Yes, because you yeah. never know what's really going to resonate with you, and don't be afraid that if you do like 
with me, Zen, and the art of motorcycle maintenance, I got to the first, it's broken up into sections. I got to the end of the first section and, and I was just hating it so much. Mm. I put it down, walked away. I may never pick it up again. So if you've got that where you're prepared to walk away if you don't enjoy it, I think there's less at stake. You know, people say there's so many books they want to read. Yeah, But yeah. if you're brave enough to walk away, that's okay. Yeah, no, perfect. And you're, you're more likely to- You're better to, than actually getting yeah. in the read rather than avoid it because you're scared of what might happen. Exactly. So, yeah, loving this book so, so much that has made me more um, likely to read. And I've read a lot of dystopian Diverse. since then. Yeah. Uh, which I wouldn't have done. Yeah, awesome. So. Some other good, if you like 1984 as well, I'd recommend looking into Philip K. Dick. Mm, um, see, I don't, I haven't loved Philip K. Yeah. Dick. He's very- um, of his time. Of his time. Yeah. yeah I find him, f- as a female, I find him quite anti-female. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, just, just a bit sexist, which is of that era. Yeah, yeah. But I, I struggle. But also, um, yeah, Elders Huxley, which you mentioned. Mm, mm. Um, uh, Isaac Asimov is good we as well. We might actually do one on Brave New World as yeah, well. I love that. Yeah, and I I've so. got to read Asimov. I've only read mm. one Asimov, which is Foundation. So oh, yeah. he's on my list of like I've got to, I've got to read more. Asimov. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, there's heaps of good stuff out there. Mm. But um, let's uh, talk a bit more about uh, writing tips. Since you had mm-hmm. that list of ideas for books to read, what what other tips do you have for writers today, Ash? Um, so this is something that I've actually just got a brand new desk and I've set it up, <laughs> and I had to think about what do I need at my desk? What's the things I always have? when I sit down to write. Cause mm-hmm. I thought that might be something listeners uh, might find interesting, even if they don't learn anything from it. Yeah, so with me, I have really good concentration. Like I can sit there and not lose my focus for a whole day. Yeah. But if I've got to get up and go get something that's not on my desk, I may never come back to my desk. It may take several days for me to go back to my desk. So what are some of the things or what is everything that I have on my desk when I sit down to write? So I wrote a list here um, so that I, you know, I could let the listeners know. So the first things I have is a dictionary and a thesaurus. And this may seem a little bit old fashioned, but this is because if I have to go on Google to look something up, I may go down a rabbit hole and never find my way back. So I always have a dictionary thesaurus. And the other thing I have is a baby naming book. Mm. So if I've got a character that's come up and go, oh, I don't have a name for that character, I have a baby name book at hand. So I'm not relying on the internet. And that's a big one for me because as soon as I'm on the internet, I that's it. I'm on Facebook or I'm on Wikipedia. Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, as far as practicality-wise for what I need pen and paper-wise, I always have index cards so I can jot down notes on them. I always have a pen, paper, and I have post-it notes, large Mm -hmm. and small. So large Mm -hmm. if I want to write, rewrite a whole scene by hand. Sometimes I think better by hand. Or just a small post-it note if I want to make a note. So sometimes I'll stick stick on a tiny little post-it note, remember this character or remember to mention this thing in this scene. And I might stick it on my computer screen or I might stick it on my notebook. So post-it notes. Um, I also then... With regards to what book I'm working on, I have all my notes, all my research. Right now I have a map. I also have images and then I save YouTube clips. So this is something I don't think I've discussed on the podcast before. When I'm trying to get the voice of certain characters, there are some actors whose voice is not necessarily their physicality or how they act or anything like that, but their voice triggers something in my brain and I can get that character right. So uh, for Michael, 
you know this, I listen to Tom Hiddleston. So Mm -hmm. I've got lots of video clips of him saved. And for Math, he's another one whose voice I need to get right. Uh, So Math is the wizard in my story that um, is Rishaya's mentor, I suppose. And he's Richard Armitage. I listen to clips with him. I found out he does audiobooks. Oh, I, like, oh, yeah, I need nice. to find out what audiobook is it, it is and listen to that. <laughs> has a cool voice. Um, see, I also have that. So any research, I have pictures of my characters, pictures of places. I've got some pictures at the moment actually on, saved on my screen, like my wallpaper on my desktop. That's locations that I'm writing about cool. in my story. Awesome. So, yeah, that's just the things I have when I sit down to write so I don't get back up again. Oh, and the other thing, water. I have water, mm. a glass of water or a jug Always of water. Always good. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, if I go searching for something, not coming it's all back. Over. Yeah, it's all over. Oh, awesome. All right, Ash, uh, speaking of not coming back, uh, accountability <laughs> time. So I had my wisdom teeth out mm-hmm. and I have spent three weeks on the couch. Mm-hmm. We recorded, we pre-recorded an episode mm-hmm. um, just because we knew I wasn't going to be up for recording Absolutely. anytime soon. Yeah. Um, so I have been really out of it, a real space care. I forgot my PIN number today, my FPOS <laughs> PIN number. So I have been really out of it. So I haven't done anything. My accountability is I've sat on the couch and played Minecraft for three weeks. Yep. You should I build see Hagrid's heart. Well, it's amazing. <laughs> well, all right. So a pretty, a pretty feeling uh, better now though. Yeah, feeling really good a now. A pretty well-deserved rest break. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. Getting your wisdom teeth out's not fun. So <laughs> yes, uh, it's good to see you're back and alive again. Thank which is you. Awesome. I've got a smile back on my face. <laughs> so what's our writing prompt for this um, episode? The writing prompt for today is to imagine you are someone's shadow for the day. Oh, mm. nice. However you wish to interpret that. Yep. Yeah, awesome. However you wish. Cool. All mm. right. So imagine you are someone else's shadow. And for the day. Write a story about that just for a day. Okay, cool. Uh, well, our website is bookstashpodcast.com and you can share your stories about being a shadow there. Uh, you can also find us on social media where bookstashcast or one word on Instagram and Twitter and you can search for the bookstash on Facebook. So until next time... Keep reading, keep writing, and we'll see you soon. We'll see you soon.